0: Welcome to Bold Becoming, Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Julie. Good to see you. Yes, it's good to see you. It's been so long. First of all, this is Sherry Reichert Bailou. Did I say it right?
1: That was perfect. Perfect. Okay. I was like, good.
0: And we, so I have her on today because, you know, this is the Bold Becoming podcast where we talk about um, people who have identity, major identity changes and losses. And she was suicidal for a while. And so I really want to find out. And obviously she's here, but I mean, she was seriously suicidal. And so I really want to find out, you know, what it's like to be in that place Mm -hmm. because we don't, you know, we were born and we grow into being who we are and we don't, we're not born suicidal. So, so you let, you had a certain personality not personality you had your certain identity who you were and then something shifted and then you were like this different person who didn't have the same access to who you were before I'm just making all this up (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna get the corrections and details from you but and then how you how you came into being this person that I met because Um. I I met Sherry, we're both um, Brenda Burchard trained certified high performance coaches and Sherry also works at Brendan events. And so I would see her at these Brendan events and she has the most radiant, positive, happy energy. And it's not this this sugar-coated stuff. It's just this, this something about her. And so at one point, she would like lead me to my, my chair when I come in late or something like that. Find, find your, you know, find a chair for you type of person. And, and I ran into her in the hall and I asked her, Sherry, what is it about you? What is this happiness that you have? And then she told me her story, sort of a short format that she wasn't always this way. And, um, Sorry I I'm, I'm, I'm getting emotional even before we talk about it. It's just emotional week with so much um so much going on in the news and the world. What what are we? We're in July of 2020.
1: So a lot of anyway, just there's a lot going on. 2022. I know it feels like 2020. Oh, god, oh my god, yes. Thank you.
0: 2022. So, you know, the the how many 200 something mass shooting and whatever. So anyway, she told me, so I asked her, what is up, you know, with this, this happiness that you have? And she said, well, I was, you know, suicidal and then I changed my life. So we have Sherry here today to, to um, talk about these different identity shifts that she's had in her life and to sort of highlight, well, number one, how you manage to stay alive because... Mm -hmm. So many people, they don't make it. They just don't make it. Yeah. And I know every story is individual, and you know you can't like give a prescription for the entire world to save the world. And yet every story has its has its own. Um, what can I say? Similarities to everybody else because we all have the same basic feelings in life of sadness and happiness, stuff like that. So first of all, why don't you, um, for the listeners, just tell you, tell us who you are now, just give us a little introduction
1: (laughs) better, better than I did. (laughs) Oh, Julie, no, that was beautiful. And that's such a, I love that, like who you are now, like, holy cow, what a, what a big question, right? Because does she mean who I am in this second? Does she mean who I, you know, I practice Zen. So it's always a big question of who, who am I really? But you know, who I am right now is similar to what I just heard you say. I'm actually super sad. I'm super sad right now. There's a lot of things that we don't you know, we don't need to name at the moment. but there is a lot of heartbreak in the world. And I am, I think this is a piece of my story. I feel like I, I am an empath, that I feel things deeply. And one of the reasons that I really literally hated myself when I was younger, is because I thought that there was something wrong with me that I was so sensitive. You know, I would cry all the time. Interesting, because I used to always be accused of being too sensitive.
0: You're just too sensitive, Julie.
1: Right? Julie, I mean, and it's, and it's hard. And 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 how can you, you can't help it, right? It's like, sorry, (laughs) Where's, where's, where's the off button? And. And really, you know, now that I'm much older, that's a whole nother tangent, but but here we are in it, right? So it's like, um, I'm someone who's super sensitive. I'm super sad right now over a lot of things, both big world things, both things um, in my family, personal things. And I'm someone who by some beautiful grace, and I'll tell you more about it. was given a path to a lot of tools and a lot Mm -hmm. of practices Mm -hmm. um, that allow me to be sad and yet to also connect to joy. And I feel like that is um, just the greatest gift in the world because it used to be that I identified, you talked about identity, right? Like I identified as someone who was always lost in depression. And now I understand that I can feel depressed. I can feel sad. I can even feel it for, you know, amounts of time, but it's not my identity. So that's who I am today (laughs) at this moment with you.
0: (laughs) Interesting. So sort of a little bit of distance between the feelings that we have and who we are as as a person that the feelings don't define the person.
1: Yes. And the feelings, right. And and the I'm just going to launch into it because I feel like it's so important to my story and I've told you this. All of those years, the depression and anxiety felt like an iron wall that just kept closing in, closing in, closing in. And it I thought it was solid. I thought it was solid. I thought it was solid and that there was no relief but when I started practicing meditation I learned to see life in tiny moments Mm. and that changed everything it was like you'll hear me say all the time I talk about pinpricks of light because it was like the first time I didn't feel like killing myself was an in-breath in a meditation class and I literally heard I don't want to kill myself right now and it was like a pinprick of light in that iron wall. And anybody who's ever been anywhere where it's pitch dark, a tiny light is everything. It's everything. It means that the world is
0: not darkness. Yes. That you there, got it. there is something else. There's something than else.
1: what you're perceiving. And if it yes. could happen once, it could happen again. Like that it's, was- Yeah, it's there. The light is there. Yep.
0: And that's, so it's, it's like how to get to the light. That's it. That's that's it, Julie. Well, listen. Yeah. So that's the end of the story.
1: Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Good time let's, you? Thanks for your time today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So let's let's go let's go to the beginning. So how who were you before you became depressed I mean how did how did this all come about
1: well right so it's interesting because when you were telling my story you said well you weren't born that way and I thought hmm I'm not sure that Hmm. I even as a very young child I when I look back I felt like I didn't belong Hmm. Even as a very young child, I felt like and and nobody knew this is the other thing. i'm I'm an expert, even as a l- little kid, an expert at um, showing someone one part of me, but feeling something else. Now I call her cardboard sherry because I know, like, sort of you know, it's like I'm trying to to practice not being that. but but even as a young kid, I think chemical depression, I think, is a part of our family history. I think there was a huge, huge amount of unresolved pain and trauma that i somehow got in my system when i came in i mean yeah
0: there's there's work now on thomas what's his name hubble on generational trauma and stuff yes. like that
1: yeah yeah and who knows right like who knows karma like right like there's all sorts of how, who knows like why we come in we do i also come from um i really didn't have a father and for up until like my 20s, I was very cavalier about that. I was like arrogant about how, oh, I don't have a dad and I'm fine kind of thing. But that really impacted me deeply. You know, it did the, the abandonment of a parent, which also set my mom into an understandable, awful, awful period because she was abandoned. Yeah. So that's the that's kind of the story, right? You have a a child who feels very deeply in a world that can be heartbreaking in the best of circumstances, right? In the best of times, there's death and there's, you know, grief and illness. Accidents. Accident, right? Those are in the times where we don't have pandemics and divisiveness and the vitriol that we have right now in the gun when we didn't have that then. So that's who I was. So you're,
0: do you, was your dad in the family? Do you remember him being in the family or you don't have memories of that?
1: Not so much. No, my dad was your classic traveling salesman. You know, my, you know, it was, it was kind of a cliche. He was a traveling salesman. As far as from what my mom knows, he was always having affairs. She kind of put up with it for most of the time because she really wanted, I mean, this is the other thing I carry deeply. It was was my, my mom's dream of, She wanted the house and the children and the white picket fence and the things that she was promised as, as someone growing up in that day, you
0: know, you do the right things. You have the, you get the, you reap the rewards and you have a
1: little happy life that you have some control over. Right. And that my mom is a very, very good person. Very, very generous hearted and, and, and she was broken hearted, you know, so he was, he, he was never around very much anyway. And then at some point he really literally just moved to another state with one of his people he was having an affair with. My mom found out by calling his work and they were like, oh no, he's moved. That kind of, oh God. Yeah. yeah, No closure. No closure. And I, you know. I, I, I don't know if this is true, but I've always said he didn't really. I mean, I don't think he ever really wanted children. I don't think he wanted a family. I think he too was the, the product of that generation where this is what you do. Mm-hmm. So I do have compassion for him as well. Like, I think he got, you know, he got stuck in a life that, that wasn't really what he wanted and mm-hmm. handle it very well, but there weren't a lot of tools back then. Right, there wasn't the people didn't have
0: quite as many choices back then. No, no. Mm. So, so you had this grief. You and your mom shared this immense grief, really.
1: Yeah, and and untalked about. Un, you know, again, like I, I had a couple siblings who they expressed their feelings through drugs and, you know, landing at the police station and doing all sorts of, you know, trouble, you know, very, that kind of, so I took the role of stoic,
0: you know. Shutting down. Right, right. (laughs) Acting out or shutting down, I guess, are are kind of the the different ends of the spectrum.
1: Right. I was the goody-goody straight A- never caused any waves no waves right which of course you know it's a great coping mechanism
0: it's a great survival another lady that i interviewed who had um child sexual abuse going on she she just became this high achiever outside of the home because she you know she could put her energy elsewhere and also she could be away from home more. Yeah. <laughs> so kids find these incredible ways to, to manage life. That's, that's one of the beautiful things about being human is, and, and a child. And, and then sometimes, though, those coping mechanisms that we have to do as a kid later on become sort of dysfunctional later in life. Yeah.
1: That- Beautifully said, Julie. Right, I think that that is it. Like so, that was my coping mechanism: was to I was a straight A, I was a cheerleader, I was on every club, I was the president of things. I right, like, yeah, that that's exhausting. It's really exhausting when it's coming from you know when it's coming from not quite the right place. What do you mean? Of course, well, I think there are a lot of people who pursue avenues of success from a very authentic place where it's joy. It's, it's a joyful. I, I really, and not that I didn't, I got a lot of joy out of all those things. I mean, if you ask anybody who knew me back then, nobody knew what was going on really deep inside. I, you know, nothing's black and white, right? It's, it's all there. But I I think for me, so much of it was about, I wanted to be loved. I desperately wanted to be loved. And You know, being recognized for achievements is one of the ways that can feel like that. Mm -hmm. But that's not, when I said it's not the right, I mean, now that I'm much, much older, (laughs) many decades older, uh, right? The real love comes from here, from inside. Yeah. Right. That's the. So, when did you start to
0: really have these suicide ideations? And did you have plans? And did you ever attempt?
1: Yeah, so so great questions. I think like when I I went away to college and I was a fish out of water. I didn't really know um my mom wasn't really available to to help with that planning of things and so I was kind of on my own and I I had like this pamphlet with this college that was like ivy covered and you know it looked like students sitting around trees reading books and I had this <laughs> like this is like amazing. And um, the college I landed at was an incredibly conservative college, which I didn't really have any understanding of those things back then. A lot of very wealthy people. I had a big scholarship, which is how I got to go, but I was not, you know, we did not have much money. So I came from a very different background. Most of these people, their parents owned corporations and and they were all going on to the cor- corporate world. They, I, I, I didn't understand any of this, but I, more than ever, I just felt like. I don't belong. What's wrong with me? Like that was just the, so I think to me, that's the beginning of the really deep dive into the depression is that sense of something's wrong with me, I don't belong, I'll never belong, no matter what I do. It's that kind of uh, starting those grooves. That's very interesting because it was in
0: seventh grade. So I grew up in a very wealthy town but my parents weren't wealthy. They bought before it turned into that. And I I didn't really click with the students in my town very much. I mean, some of them, yeah. And it wasn't until seventh grade. And so of course one thinks, well, it's me because also I did have this history of being this very bad girl in, in grade school because I would like beat up the boys to play with in their recess games, and anyway, I was, I was, um, and then, and then I stopped. Like in fifth grade, I stopped beating people up at school. Yeah. Well, I still had to contend with my brothers, but anyway. And then in seventh grade, there was the election of Nixon and McGovern. And then I, that's when I realized, oh my God my parents are voting for McGovern and everybody else's parents are voting for Nixon. Oh. And that's when I realized that, that there's these differences in ideologies that you, they don't teach us that in school. They act like we're all the same, you know, and we're, these ideologies and these worldviews, are, they're so real. But but uh-huh. I didn't I didn't know they were real. So some, same thing like with you, you found out. Wait a minute, th- there's these people are there's some difference that nobody's talking about,
1: <laughs> and yet you can feel it. You know, Julie, that is so. I love that you just told that story because I think it speaks on on different. So we've already talked about the one level of there are people who sort of feel things differently and express it outwardly and those who maybe don't so much so there's that thing. And then you have the the um, political ideals I happen to grow up somewhere that is still to this day, almost entirely, you know, one side of the political fence, and my mom is the other side. I had same like you no understanding of that but everything that was taught to us everything that we learned was from one side of the fence. that doesn't resonate with me Mm -hmm. and right so you are right. like and nobody talks about it so you don't nobody know like children don't know it is very you know it's a very interesting point like there's just this and and i'm just going to throw it in we don't have to talk about it but then you have religious beliefs i was also brought up in a religion that did not resonate at all with me Mm -hmm. but i was told just like i was at school this is what you believe. This is what we believe. Yeah, with what the tribe, right? This is what the tribe believes. Right.
0: And who, as kids, we don't have choice.
1: Mm -mm. Yeah, we don't. And and even like, I think this is the biggest thing that I'm going to go ahead and project onto you. (laughs) What we have right now is the understanding that our biggest choice is how we how we understand and make the choices on our life. Like we have personal freedom, but as kids, I didn't even know that I could choose differently to think differently. Right. You know, so, wow, here we are. This is a (laughs) big, great big world.
0: So instead of like what happened with me, a light bulb went off and I realized that there was a reason why I was feeling sort of misfitting. And also I had an alternative because this was 19 uh, early 70s when there was voluntary busing to integrate the schools. And so they had opened up the school in the black neighborhood for white students to oh. get bused there and So for a variety of reasons, I I had anyway, so I had that option to get away from the people in my town by going to that high school. And that's exactly what I did. Whereas you you didn't maybe have the same. And so anyway, it was it was so liberating. And then I went there. I was like, oh, there's other kinds of people in the world that actually I like think I like I like. and was it was the most wonderful experience and and part of the wonderful thing about that high school is everybody who was there chose to be there including the including the teachers wow and so um we we used to say Ravenswood was a good place to be
1: or is a good place to be Ah, I'm happy Julie that that you had the intelligence and the insight to do that Well, yeah, I mean, it it was just,
0: I don't know if it was intelligence or insight, it was just like uh, taking the options and being aware of, and and people, you know, from my town, they said, oh, those, you know, N-words are gonna, you know, rob and rape you. I mean, even, even decades later, people would say those kind of things. But it didn't really matter to me because those people didn't really matter to me, actually. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, let's get back to your story. So you you show up in this university, and you didn't realize that maybe it, you started right. taking it as that something's wrong with you, rather than there there are these different groups of people.
1: Right. So now it's continuing, right, and it's deepening this whole sense of. Something's wrong with me, I don't belong. Why don't I think like everyone else? Why don't? And, you know, fortunately, you know, while this was also a time of unraveling, as often happens, right? I was said nothing's black and white. There was also for me these seeds being planted that I understand years later now. Like for one thing, I I had a job that I worked for the school counselor, the dean of counseling. And she was a godsend, right? Because so I had her. And that's like my first experience with counseling is she actually, you know, did just some counseling with me. I also had, I was a a creative writing major and my professor, whom I have thanked a thousand times, um, at one point said, literally, he said, you're gonna die here. You need to go, you need to get, they had a New York arts program where students could go and work for, you know, magazines or TV or, you know, the art world. And he said, and he, you know, he saw, you know, and I could cry just thinking about it. You know, this is why I think so many times, like he saw what I didn't, which was, I was a creative person trapped. I had no, you know, I was so, um, but I didn't know that these were just like you said, right? I didn't know. And so I ended up um, doing a, a semester in New York, which on one hand saved me because I, just like you said, right? I was like, oh my gosh, There's something else. Look at this world. I had no, I grew up in a tiny rural town that was barely any focus on individuality or uniqueness, or you know, it was cookie cutter. Like you had to fit in. However, what happened though for me is when I spent that time in New York, it also deepened the sense that I could never be the person I wanted to be. Because what happened is I remember looking, like I saw these people with like spiky blue hair and wildly wonderful clothes. And I was just like, I loved them, but I was in my white tennis shoes and my sweatshirt and my long Barbie doll hair. And just like, I was so disconnected. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it's like there was someone who I wanted to be so desperately and she felt impossibly far away. And so it also, while it was inspiring on one hand, it was also deepening my sense of I'm the wrong person. I'm somehow, <laughs> I can't even really explain. I think, you know, there are people who sort of know that, that sense and it's like, I just, there was just this sense of, I used to always say something's wrong. There's a, a screw that got turned the wrong way. And I was just born wrong. That was like my belief. Wow. I didn't really, and,
0: and nobody told you that kind of stuff that all came from you.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, 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 all of that like came from me, although I do, I do give credit, um, to the religion I was brought up in, you know, which has a nice, beautiful focus on sin and all kinds of things that I think perpetuate those feelings of, yeah, there really is something wrong with you. But okay. but a lot of it, I think, again, I just, you know, just voices in the head that I thought were true. So it just kind of, things kind of just, for me, kept going. I was making... I just, well, hold on, hold on, before yeah. you go on. So right
0: there, it's so obvious how you could end up like being super depressed because you, so you had this compare and contrast. First of all, you were in these places growing up and in college where you didn't fit. And you, you knew you didn't fit, but you thought something was wrong with you. And then you went out in the world and then you found that there is other, more to the world than you had known before. And you saw things that resonated with you. And you didn't feel like you could ever, you wanted to be there, but you didn't see a way to be there. And so you didn't fit, you were like
1: in between yes. two places. It's exactly it. And in some ways, I mean, right. In some ways it was great. In other ways, it just reinforced the sense of not belonging on the planet. I would always say, I mean, this was my, you know, we could talk for hours about, you know, it's like I I would try to just literally try to disappear, right? Like by not eating. I mean, you know, I never had like a serious uh, disorder in the sense, but but it would never threatened my life that way. but i I would try. I really wanted like I'd get to a hundred pounds and I want to be ninety pounds because I wanted to be gone. Like I just wanted to like, what what does that
0: feel like?
1: How do you want to be gone? Oh. I don't. I mean, again, and it's a, it's a, it doesn't make sense. Cause again, like, I don't think people saw me this way, but I saw me as like a, a dark cloud, right? Like I was always so filled with anxiety and depression and angst and OCD. And I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, and I just felt like I'm just trouble, you know, like I'm not adding anything. I'm not living up to who this person inside of me is. I never will. Uh, I, I, career-wise, I was bumbling because I didn't wanna have a corporate job like everybody at my university, but that's all that was being presented. Like, you know, when they bring in all the job fairs, <laughs> like I was like, none of that spoke to me. And so I, I just moved to New York and hung around and worked at a museum. And I, I don't know, it, how do you feel like you don't, you know, you don't wanna be here. It's just, it's too hard. Uh, It's too hard, like, and I I think that there's, I mean, I know you get this because we started off by both of us saying we felt like crying today, right? Like just to to go back to, first of all, like we live in a world where it's hard. My, My Zen teacher, I love this. She always says, it's really hard to be a human being. You know, we need to be so kind to ourselves and other people because it's hard. And so if you, do, if it's already hard and then you don't really have the grit or the resilience or whatever it is, it just seems like why, why bother, what? So
0: way to hold on though, you did have grit and resilience cause you still every day got up and made something of your life. Even while you were feeling like being disappearing, disappeared.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's both, right? Like, it's funny because when I, you're, you know, you're asking me to go back. And when I go back and I think about that girl, yes, she did keep getting up and yes, she did keep moving forward. And yes, she did also start and continue to keep thinking, how do I get off? How do I get off? They're both happening at once. Mm -hmm. How do I get off? You know, the you know, the, it is hard. I think people who don't, a lot of people get this and a lot of people don't, but it's like that constant, I could just jump off and be in this front of this train right now. I could jump in front of the, like, there's just this, um, I feel so sad. It's really hard. You know, it's like, it's such a hard, especially to feel so alone in it at that time. But it's like, there's just this constant, what could I take? What could I, you know, you know, what bridge could I jump? Like all of those thoughts that are also there in the midst of all the other. Get up, you eat breakfast, you go do whatever you do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I have a friend who's in her 40s and been suicidal since she's 15 and every single day thinks about it. And so that's what, yeah. that's what I'm trying to like get an idea of what, how is it that you live with these thoughts and and continue to live yeah and and then eventually maybe not have those thoughts anymore or
1: maybe do i still or, do. or maybe do yeah i mean i still do i you know i'm always tell people people think my company is called simply celebrate i practice joy in many 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 ways And I, you know, I probably not a week goes by that I haven't thought, how do I get off? But I think that this might go back to, um, and we're kind of jumping around, but I I think it's important too to realize, like, so that what is now my guiding philosophy about pinpricks of light, I didn't, I couldn't have verbalized that too back then, but I do think that that's what goes on, which when I when I realized it, I I could actually visualize the pinpricks of light in that wall, that made it so much easier. But I think even before then, I might have had a beautiful conversation with one of the the clerks at a store I was in, or I might have um, stopped to talk to someone at the park, or I might've seen a beautiful painting, right? Those are pinpricks of light. I would've gone to have coffee with a friend and, I didn't know enough to kind of know them or chart them at the time. But that's, to me, it's like those singular moments where I'm sure if you asked me in that singular moment and you pressed me, I would have had to say to you, oh, I don't want to kill myself in this moment. But because I wasn't wise enough, and I believed the voices in my head that said it was solid, Mm -hmm. I just thought that it was solid. And I thought, I'm a depressed person. And those labels of
0: being a depressed person make it, they're they are
1: sort of final, right? Yeah. Right? Your word is your wand. I mean, that's, to, I really see that. There was a shifting moment that actually happened at a Brendan event where I literally, switch to, I'm love, I'm light. Like I literally just changed the language. And then, you know, this, right. And we talk a lot about the identity. Once we identify as something, there's, there's a little bit more of a responsibility to ourselves to show up for that.
0: Right. So making a choice of what are you going to focus on Am I going to focus on I'm, I'm depressed when that thought comes through your mind or when the thought comes through your mind, which we can't control our mind, but we can control what we do with comes through with our mind. And then when those negative thoughts come like hate and I hate you or, you know, things like that, or I feel like being dead, then I, I don't know about... Being suicidal, but I know about self-loathing. I know a lot of, I know a lot about self-loathing. And when those thoughts come through my mind, then I can choose, I can number one, be aware, because now I'm, I'm aware that, okay, it's just a thought and that that's not reality. It's a thought and then change, make a choice to, to
1: replace it with something that's going to be beneficial Exactly, right? And, and I'll tell you, Julie, the biggest thing for me. So first I saw it's not solid, right? There, there's light. So I started looking for light. So, so wait,
0: I want you to explain this this iron wall a little more. Can you like just describe how how a person has an iron wall? Because
1: I don't see... Oh, you don't have it. <laughs> I don't see an iron wall. <laughs> yeah, Um. the iron wall is... Um, I, I can't, I can't exp- I, I can't express anything. Nothing can come out right. There's not, if you could imagine, like, there's no way to express, there's not really a way for things to come in very much. It's, um, it's suffocating. It's really suffocating. That's the biggest piece. I can even feel it as I'm talking to you. it's like, <sighs> like I can barely breathe uh, and it's come like I'm alone I think that that's the other piece of it you're in a silo yeah but it's uh, yeah but it's very thick
0: so what I'm getting an image is is these these big huge grain um silos that we have here in Kansas yeah that are just these solid humongous things and, and not um so you're in that even though you're you're transporting yourself around into the world and engaging and still yes. there's this, there's this wall separating you.
1: Yes. Separating. Yes. That's it. So, but let me finish before I, cause I don't want to forget. And then we, okay. we'll go, we'll go back, but it's like, cause I think this is a really, really important piece for me, at least, maybe not for anyone else, but maybe the first step for me was to understand that it wasn't solid. Because if there was one pin for good light, just like we said, changes everything. I started looking, literally literally holding my cat saying, oh, I don't wanna die right now. Eating uh, something I really liked, like a piece of toast. I don't wanna die right now. Like literally that was my life for a long time, was just charting. But then I realized like, I could create those moments. I don't have to wait, right? I don't have to wait for them to drop in. right? Huge difference, right? Pers- I started, Personal agency, right? But the, the really, really big piece to me was when I had practiced that enough. I don't know how many years went by, but I could finally look up, right, and I could actually see. Holy cow! There's a world it well, makes me so. There's a world of people in the dark. There's a world of people who are grieving they're sick they're disappointed they feel lost for whatever reason they they don't belong or they feel like they don't like i could just suddenly see it all and i was like oh i could give light right like i could i could give light to people who felt like i did when we
0: when we give what we need to other people that's i think where healing really
1: happens absolutely right. Like to me, and I always say that, like that, that, that was really the secret sauce for me because they're both happening at once. It's no longer just about this human being. It's really about something much bigger, which as you also know, I know, you know, this, like that changes everything when we're outside of our, you know, it's all about me to, oh, there's a world as we've said several times, there's a heartbroken world. There's also a, a wonderful, joyful, whimsical, alive, loving world. It's all there. But at any given moment, I could tell you, you know, a number of my friends who are grieving someone that just died, or who are sick, or you know, who are scared at any moment. So I think that, um, that gave me purpose which I also didn't have before, right? I mean, as you've heard in my story, my purpose was distracting myself from feeling from feeling anxiety and depression, which isn't much of a purpose. Oh, it, it sure as hell is.
0: <laughs> it sure as hell is. You have to keep yourself alive. Well, yeah. And that's the whole thing. The, the, this is one of the huge concepts in forced identity transition where we're pushed into uh, becoming this new person is that the measurements of success we have to change them and our productivity are different things uh, than what we normally measure yeah that's good and your your productivity and measures of success were noticing that you loved eating a piece of toast right that was that was that
1: you could that was a checkbox right Thank you for Claire, because I think you know that's a really good point. I I, the the thing I meant that I still feel is there's there's something like that wasn't that wasn't like a a bigger it wasn't a a a big enough thing to really call me to show up fully. Do you know what I mean? It called me to survive, but it didn't call me in the way that I'm called now to. Just something that feels
0: bigger than me let me just put one little asterisk here had you not been where you were would you even be effective doing what you are right now no yeah no absolutely yeah and so I, it's not it's not like we, in, we we want these things to happen to us and yet it's i think we we sort of downplay the the benefit of and that's what that's what this um, this guy who has like his uh, got all these body um, disabilities, he's like, oh, I had secondary gains from like he, he got paralyzed for the neck down and then he wow. regained his functioning. But he's still, you know, walking with crutches and stuff, walking, though. And the thing is, is that these are secondary gains and now this is a new thing. I don't know how new it is, but post-traumatic growth.
1: Yes, I know. I was just thinking of that expression when you were saying that, like that has just over the last five years or whatever come into to play, post-traumatic growth, which is not to say, and I feel like this is my asterisk here right now, like I never wanna be the person that says to somebody, oh, well, good, you got cancer, you Mm -hmm. know, something you're right. We don't ever want to like put that on someone or, or push the silver linings. It's
0: like, you need to go through the process. You need to be witnessed and supported as much as possible and acknowledge the hideousness of what really happened and then be able to later possibly see these benefits right because a lot of people try to push this second this um silver lining on real early in the process and that's just not that's not cool
1: (laughs) oh i do that all the time julie yeah i mean i i know that's why i wanted to put that asterisk there because it's it's definitely this is to me like one of the uh, you know it's the places we have to be really careful when we are in the personal development world and when we're in these worlds of growth and positivity is really to be very very careful about remembering there's a huge range of human emotions and we don't want to like start bypassing them like what you're saying you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that word bypassing is that's a good one yeah wow we've been to a lot of places just now
0: yeah so let's see let's see what um what else, what other part of your story I'm going to need to write up for my book? <laughs> this, this podcast is for the podcast. I mean, this interview is for the podcast, but also for a story in my book. So you, you were starting to talk about, oh, the, basically your breakthrough sort of pivot moment was in your meditation class where you realized in this very one moment because in meditation, that's what we learn to do is to like, stop trying to live in the future and stop like going back to the past and just notice that right now, I'm okay. Yep. You no, know, I'm, I'm able to breathe. Even if I have pain, even if I'm dying right now, I, this very one moment, I'm, I'm still okay. Okay. And so that's where you had your breakthrough moment was in the meditation, and then was it was it a straightforward progress?
1: No, but you said <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. I know, Julie. I love that. <laughs> oh yes, from there I just you know uh, no. You turned turn into the Sherry that I met at, at the Brendan. But year. the thing that I do want to underscore because you just said that so beautifully, that's my practice every day, a million times a day right? That's still like in some ways, nothing has else changed. Like my, my way of being in the world is a moment, right? It's just a moment because like you said, and it's in a moment, I can pause. I can make a choice. I can, it's just, it's, it's the opposite of that iron wall. And that, that has been you started off this podcast by saying, you know, maybe we can't solve everything for everyone. I do think that that is one thing, though, that is, is almost a universal truth, which is that idea that when we can get ourselves in the moment with ourselves, truly like planted in our body on this planet, that's pretty much a, one route to healing. Okay, so
0: what does it mean to be planted in your body in this moment? To me,
1: uh, it means everything you and I, I feel like you and I have been through, like we've had some laughter moments. We've had some moments I, you know, I've teared up, you've teared up. I've had some moments where I've felt anxiety. It's, It's really like feeling what's going on in our body and that sense of everything's okay even yeah. though things might not be okay. Even though things might might not be okay. But that sense of this is, you know, I'm looking outside right now. The reason I was looking outside is I there's a big tree out there. And I always look to that tree like as sort of a, mo- a role model, right? The tree, the branches fall off, the flowers come and then they go and it gets hit by lightning and it you know, like all sorts of things happen, and it's just being lived by life. And I feel like when I can come from that place, I don't know. I got lost into my thinking there, but that's what being present is to me is to remembering mm-hmm. that I'm I'm a part of life. And I can't be, I mean, that's one big thing, too, right? I can't be a mistake the way that I used to always believe because, you know, like, life doesn't make mistakes. Yep.
0: We're all here for a reason. And if, if only the reason is, is that we survived, you know, we were the, the sperm and the egg that became (laughs) the person that's enough of a reason that there's, there's something for us to be here for. Mm.
1: Mm, right. Right. And if only, yeah, that each of us gets that chance to at maybe at some point to think about, like, do I want to give that any meaning? Right. Or Right.
0: Not? Yeah. Then, then, then you take it from there as far as you want to go. But, but before we get into the ph- philosophy or, or rather than getting into philosophy, let's get back to your story just to wrap it up. So you you started to realize that you had choice in, in how you felt, right? Yes.
1: Is that what it was? Yes, exactly. And then,
0: oh, and then then you could create opportunity, you could create circumstances where you would feel better. Right. And so you moved more towards that. And so what, but then yeah then I made that snide remark that it was like a a beeline (laughs) to the finish line so what what actually happened to to let's say okay so you say that you still think about suicide and are you like was there a point where that now you don't feel like you're at risk of dying by suicide and so how did how did you get there and what did it feel like when you moved over that threshold into this person who might still think about it might still feel like it and not at risk the way that you were for those
1: years which is a great question Julie and I think part of it is that I understand now the difference between authentic pain and story suffering story which is a whole other podcast right but but that to me you know they're there's the range of human emotions and what we suffer, you know, what we what we go through painfully. Suffering to me is the, I don't believe, it's the actual story that gets created that makes it into something solid. And I know the difference now. So it's like, I may have a moment of, I'm so tired, I want off this planet, but I understand that that's a story is a thought or a fleeting, it might even be a fleeting, emotion, but I understand that it's not, I understand enough. I mean, I'm, I'm 58 years old. I know that enough to know that in the next moment, I'm going to talk to Julie and be really happy to be talking to Julie, you know, and I may get off of here and be weeping because we've touched into a lot of stuff, but then I'll know, my son's inside the house and he's, you know, I'll go in and we'll share a joke. Like there's enough to know singular moments. Oh, this is a singular moment of wanting to kill myself. Now there's a singular moment of dancing in the park with my bow and just being so happy. Now there's a singular moment of talking to my friend whose son committed suicide and we're crying together, Mm -hmm. right? They're just, they're
0: moments. So you've come to a place where you can, you can fully feel without, because I think a lot of people, they, they have to protect themselves. And so they don't go into that fully feeling and of, of feeling sad or joy, because when we shut down our feelings, it shuts them down on both sides. Right.
1: Well, I just think that what you just said is so big. You know, I, uh, I have a saying that celebration and, and depression, in my case, are two sides of the same coin. The deeper I let myself feel the pain and the sorrow and the sadness, the more room then for the joy, which is why the joy in my life has expanded exponentially. But it doesn't mean I still don't feel those other wells of feelings. But Okay, so that's your
0: trick? <laughs> to, for for your ability, your your level of joy that I had to find out about is that you allow yourself to feel all the depth of all your feelings, including the the sadness.
1: Oh, I like that. I wish that were I wish that were the truth. I don't. <laughs> I don't. That's a, such a beautiful story. I, I. You know, or is it too I, simplistic? Yeah, I think I think I'm practicing, and I've been practicing a lot doing that. I actually more so think that my My story of joy is in the moment when I realize a lot of other people are suffering. I mean, my book, The Reason It's Called Say It Now, is really about that it's seeing other people and having a purpose of, oh, I can just give them a moment of light. You know, I can give them a moment of light. It's it's really, I think, more that for me because I, I don't know, it feels like more the truth. Okay. So that makes sense that through your,
0: through your practice of, of sharing the joy, bringing the joy and sharing the joy, then it, it obviously fills you up with joy, even though you can be filled with sorrow at the same time that we can, can do
1: both. We can do both. Right. I think maybe that more than anything, you know, if we want a simple answer, I think maybe that's it, Uh, you know, and it's, it's something that, again, we're not taught. You know, we're sort of taught this either or thinking, but the truth of it is, yeah, we can be super sad. We can be disappointed. We can be grieving, even, and we can be joyful. And I use the word celebration for all of it. To me, it's a celebration. Like when we got on this call and we were like, oh, we're feeling a little weepy, right? that's a celebration because it's authentic and it's real. And it's a moment of connection. Mm -hmm. I think for me, celebration and connection are very much synonymous. Connecting with others. Or ourselves. Yeah. Or ourselves, right.
0: All right. Well, this has been (laughs) so incredible. Why don't you um, tell us about your book and tell us where, where people can find you online.
1: Oh, and I'll have have it in the show notes, but just, you can, you can tell us what your book is about. First of all, thank you, Julie. It has been such a joy and it has been a joy. I mean that, you know, even though we've gone to some hard places, it's, it's a joy to authentically connect to someone on a real basis. Yeah. My, my son is like, mom, I don't want to listen
0: to your podcasts or you don't tell me about your work. It's like all these depressing stories.
1: I'm like, but that's only part of it. Right. (laughs) Right. And it, there to me you know it's like the idea of expression that's what frees us right like so anyway so thank you because it's been... expression of sadness and joy exactly because
0: this whole thing about only being having permission to only like being able to talk about positive stuff it's really or you know don't don't complain unless you're, you're part of the problem if you don't have a solution or things like that yeah. it's like there's You know, the world is messy and there aren't quick, you know, there might, anyway, solutions are not, if there, if solutions were easy, we wouldn't have as many problems as we have. Right. And and so there, there needs to be permission to, to talk about what's really going
1: on with us. Which is why, you know, a lot of people who don't know me think, oh, she's just this naturally happy person. Lucky her, which is why when people ask me, you know, I always tell the truth. It's because it's that. I don't want people to think, yeah, oh, it's just, just be happy. (laughs) It's not that. So uh, the reason, like, thank you for asking about my book, because it is really important to me. I, like you, you know, I feel things deeply. And I would always go to memorials and funeral services where people tell all those beautiful stories and they celebrate people. They put the photos. After the fact. After the fact. I just... (laughs) Right? Like I would always say, why don't we say it now? Why don't we say it now? Sure, say it then, but say it when someone can hear it because it's like people are having a hard time being human. You know, let's tell them why they're so great. What makes them unique? Why we love them? What we remember that's so happy, how they've impacted our lives. Like Mm. it just to me is essential that we, so that's where the say it now part came from. And it's also a big part of my healing process was really this path of creative gifts that express love. Uh, That's hugely important to me. And um, I know know we have to close out, but I'm just going to say the the very first one that I practiced a lot when I was super depressed is called a love list. And I would just make lists of reasons why I love someone. And that was another moment. I didn't want to kill myself when I was making lists of why I love people. It's like a big old secret to feeling love and joy. So that's what the book, it's, it's both like a lot of like creative ideas that helped me to learn how to express myself, learn to feel joy, but there are also gifts that I can give people that hopefully uh, bring them some light. It's incredible, so great.
0: Well, thank you so much, Sherry. This has been so wonderful. Thank
1: you. This has been a gift. It's been a real gift to talk to you, Julie. Thank you for the work you're doing. Super powerful work in the world. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. And this has been Julie Brown
0: on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers, the links in the show notes.